email or we gonna we about to roll with the dough, Chris. You know how we do it. We roll with the punches. We just all right. I'm with you, we just, man. We just get up and roll, just like we rolling right now, because we are live. And this is running with war on YouTube with the crew. See, I call him C Breezy. That's just you know that's my guy, C Breezy, Chris Pennant. We got Drew the Maestro. We got one of our main guests and one of our main brothers, Gabe, back on the set. And your host, Joshua M. Hicks. And if you guys are asking about Kyle, Kyle was just blessed. He just blessed us today. He was like, I'll take the day off and take care of myself. So he let us run the right. show. Shout out to Big Kyle. I hope you feel better soon, man. But we obviously got a, a jam-packed show. We got a lot going on in the, in the sports and the NBA world as a whole. I don't even want to get into it when he's talking about brackets because I lost all my stuff. Um, <laughs> I, my, my bracket is shot thanks to Kyle's man, March Madness being March Madness. But I want to start real, real briefly with, you know, the headlines between obviously Cameron Durant and social media and Michael Rappaport, which is, you know, Michael Rappaport. <laughs> but then you talk about what's going on the back and forth between Stephen A. Smith and Russell Westbrook and his wife. Oh, man, you want to talk about headlines for days. Twitter's been going crazy just over those two topics alone. And you <laughs> When you talk about, when we start, we're going to start off with Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant, he's always been a guy that's a little sensitive to social media. It's a little sensitive about what other people got to say about him. He's going to say his few things here and there and troll on, on Twitter and everything. But for him to come at Michael Rappaport, I know Michael Rappaport's a little bit out there, too. And for a comedian, he may not be as funny to me, but, you know, he's Michael Rappaport. So you put him on a TV show, he's going to say what he says. Um, to, so, so to see that that Instagram thread, for me, it wasn't shocking on Michael Rappaport's end because he's just that much of a douchebag. But at the same time, um, I mean, at the same time, though, you know, Kevin Durant and social media has been a stigma. It's been an issue with him. And no matter who the person is, he, he's the type of person that has, you know, say his feedback in a very uh, provocative way in his own terms. And at the same time, when it comes public, it's to the world, it's shocking. It comes off as, you know, very childish like behavior and things that and immature, which and in some cases I do agree. But then I also wonder, you know, how some people sometimes that's just literally their nature as they want to be childish for the rest of their life. Um, is that who Kevin Durant really is? Like, is that just who he is as a person? And we as a society have to accept the fact that. Trolling Kevin Durant on social media is who we must be accustomed to for the rest of our lives. We can't expect superstars to be on such a professional level that it takes away from who they are as people. Um, I, I mean, I believe that he should have handled that better um, and he should have been more mature about it. Quite frankly, forget what other people got to say because I know they be joking around and everything, but dude, you, you have two titles. You have all the bread in the world. You, but your legacy is pretty much cemented. We want to talk about putting together the most, arguably the greatest team ever assembled with Golden State and creating the dynasty that was over there. And you leading that dynasty, you're going to get your jersey retired with the Oklahoma City Thunder. You're probably going to get it retired with the Golden State Warriors. If you bring a championship to Brooklyn, you will get that times a statue. I mean, your legacy and your work's already cemented. Why are you, why are you dealing with the trollers, man? Even if it is Michael Rappaport. Like, let him go. 
let him sit his white self down and watch the rest of and watch the rest of next Friday. Like, like, like let's have him have fun like with good times and see how he did with new edition. Okay, like let him be. <laughs> he ain't on your level, bro. Just just relax. He doesn't deserve the time of day. I'm interested to hear what you got to say, Chris, because I know you know you like your very <laughs> you, you you bring the heat when it comes to these type of discussion, these type of topics, man. What was your thoughts when you heard about Kevin Durant taking the time out of his day to come after a comedian who, quite frankly, isn't all as funny as he used to be anymore? Like, what what were your thoughts? <laughs> what were your thoughts about that? Well, first, I want to address Josh's personal beef with Michael Rappaport and his comedy. Um, you might have to let that go, man. Might have to do with Josh's play. Um, Josh, Josh, first of all, you're right. Uh, Michael Rappaport is like the, the diet Bill Burr at this point because Bill Burr, for all the heat he gets, is funny. Michael Rappaport knows basketball, but he, he's not as funny. You know, the, I don't know if any of y'all watch The War at Home, but that show's claim to fame is pretty much um, putting an unknown Rami Malik on on national TV for a couple of years. The issue at hand is is Kevin Durant, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Josh. This is what we got to expect from KD. Some some guys are are their nature. At a certain point, you you I think mentally you you stop maturing, except with great effort. Um, I don't know if any of you guys watched the show Brockmire, but there was a point where he was in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and his sponsor uh, asked him what time, when in his life he started becoming, like really started drinking. And he said 14. And he's like, yeah, that's for alcoholics. When they start drinking, they stop maturing at that age. Not to imply KD is an alcoholic, but he seems to have hit that point where he's just like a 16 year old, you know? There's no other reason for him to drop that many SMID references in the messages that he had with Michael Rappaport, because that's a high school insult. That's, that's a high school insult. Wu-Tang Clan used it, but even when they used it, it was just, it was more fierce. They said, eat it. You know what I'm saying? They said, eat a D. For some, for some reason, that's just the New York thing that, that just worked. DMX has something to say about that. You might be right, but that's also, <laughs> DMX is also New York. So maybe New York <laughs> is the exception to the rule, but just it's just the way that he said it all of the things he said. He said, meet me on the corner of 17th at 10 a.m. and come and catch steak. Bro, who are you talking to, man? This isn't social studies. You aren't passing no notes. <laughs> LeBron, here, here's how we can evaluate this. Would we ever see a story like this come out about LeBron James? And the answer I, can, I could guess to a person would be no. As much as we think LeBron took the easy way out when he went to Miami to get those two rings with uh, the Bostrich and Dwayne Wade, he's he's just a, he's an intelligent dude who who lets this stuff go to for the most part. Or if, even even when he tweets, he the stuff that he tweets might be somewhat childish, but it's true. We called Donald Trump a bum. It was true. It was just true. <laughs> for the for KD to go to let that go this far, like. We all saw that interview on Inside the NBA early in the season. Chuck, I, Chuck is a favorite of mine. He's sexist. I will, I will, you got to admit that, but he's still a favorite analyst of mine because most of the time what he says is on point. But he asked Katie a bad question. Katie responded with, responded with a one-word answer. Michael Rappaport called him out, trying to basically trying to get a rise out of him, and it worked. You can't let that work. Our parents told us that in grade school. 
when bullies get at you, they try to get under your skin, the best thing you can do is ignore them because they fail. So why is he letting all this stuff, why is he doing this? But he might've answered our question for us because somebody had an exchange with him either earlier this week or last week and saying like KD is going to be just this dude who's spending most of his time like coming on Twitter for the long form dialogue. And I think he replied absolutely or all day. So he is the product of this, of the society that we live in where people so sometimes going to Twitter is more important than the other things that you have to do. And we've all fallen into that trap, right? So the best thing that KD can do is what we all have to do. Log off, man. Just log off. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, this, this whole thing started with Michael Rappaport calling him sensitive. And then KD essentially <laughs> proved that he was sensitive he proved it um, by his response. Um, and these messages, correct me if I'm wrong. He sent these messages to Michael Rappaport, right? To like directly to his phone. So yeah. not only do I have a problem with Kevin Durant, um, you know, coming back at a Rappaport in this way, uh, I don't think it was worth all of that. You know, people have been calling Kevin Durant sensitive for a long time. This this wasn't the first time. And it's funny that it blew up that way. But Michael Rappaport, come on, bro. You can't release that publicly, man. Come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. What are we doing? What are we doing? You got to keep that in-house, bro. Because I think they had, they, I don't know, I don't want to call them friends, but if I read correctly, they have a certain relationship where Durant actually got Rappaport tickets to uh, one of the finals games when he was in Golden State. So, I mean, there's some history there. Um, so the fact that it got to this point, um, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's weird, man. And, you know, we, we all wish that our superstars could have thick skin. You know, you brought up LeBron, Chris. LeBron is trolled every second of every day it seems like man um you know he'll respond every once in a while but nothing to this extent like just little you know little petty things here and there you know like last season the whole wash king hashtags and whatnot so he'll respond but just in a different way where he's definitely not throwing out misogynistic um terms or you know for no reason just falling back on like you said stuff from high school you know like rebuttals in that way it's, it's not worth it man and it's, you know, you got more to worry about. You ain't played basketball. How long has it been? A month or two? Um, you, you with the new team, you got new all-star teammates. Just let that stuff go, man. It's not, how you how you, how you feel about yourself is more important than what Michael Rappaport thinks about you or anybody else in this world, man. Like, just let it go, bro. It's not that serious, man. Yeah, I think it would be, I think if, I, obviously we know this is, what, this is part of what KD has a custom to, he has a history of this. But well, I think what made it so worse, obviously, aside from the fact that, like you mentioned, Drew, it, Michael Rapport, Michael Rapport took it to another level by at least by even releasing the images of what and of the messages that were being said. That was that was, that was unprofessional. That should have been done. But the fact that Katie responded with such misogynistic, you know, language, and even though this was something that happened, I think a year ago, they got released. It was such bad timing because of the times that we're in right now. When you're talking about the, the racial injustices and the stop Asian hate and uh, and things of that sort. Like it's it's such a prime, uh, unfortunate time frame for this information to come out, which makes the situation that much that much more worse considering the times that we're in. Um, Dave, I'd love I'd love for you to comment on that on that aspect of it because I think that is a component that I, 
from hearing professionals talk about this hasn't really been brought up was the fact that, you know, the time period that we're in, and even though it happened so long ago, the fact that they're bring, it's being brought up now in, a, in, a, in an era and a time frame where so much hate, so much um, discrimination and racism is so prevalent and bold and, and bold and on this and, and in front of us um, at this present moment, it, it just didn't it didn't make the situation any better. Absolutely, it didn't make it better at all. And then you add the fact that we're talking about a guy that's not just a basketball player, but is a businessman as well. You know, is doing excellent things with with programs such as the boardroom, putting people on game. You know, young athletes on how to take advantage of their opportunities off of the court, in which they're on the court talents have blessed them with. In addition to being an investor in many, you know, different lucrative endeavors such as Postmates and YouTube and so forth, you know, because when he went to the Bay, it was bigger. It was always a move to me. As much as it was about winning championships, it was a business move too. And he put himself in a position where he was fortunate enough to build 35 ventures like you see now. But in response to what Chris was saying in regards to how you would never see LeBron react that way, well, I have a a, a rebuttal back in that regard. Lions don't get concerned over the opinion of sheep. Ever since LeBron James walked into the NBA, he was always regarded by many as the best player in the game. And while it may have taken him a three and a half year period, a four year period to gain that title officially from the masses that he, he was always respected. Like he, he didn't really have to like all the personal insults. It, it, it was little to him because everybody in the basketball world knew how great he was. Whereas with Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant has gone through a period for over the last decade and a half where in spite of his greatness, people look at him and say, oh, you're the second best basketball player in the world. And some people will completely ignore his contributions to the game. And I'm not saying that that excuses his immaturity. However, I do feel like that's why you see a lot of this FU mentality when it comes to how he reacts to fans on social media, how he engages with celebrities across multiple platforms. And this is dated back as far back, I would say, as the 2012 NBA Finals when he's doing a cover story with SI saying, I'm tired of being second. And I think this is where all of this stems from. It's like he's had so many, much energy and hate thrown his way, he's gotten to a point where he's he's like, I don't even give a you think I'm going to say how I feel and you can either take it or leave. Now, is it the thing to say in this day or time or any time? No, it was very immature on his part. However, I do believe that him being one of the all-time greatest scorers in the history of the game, yet not being respected on the level of LeBron and always being seen as the little brother, I do believe that that pisses him off greatly. I want to, I want to, Gabe, you made some, some good points, some interesting points for sure. But I, as soon as you said, you know, you were talking about disrespect, being regarded as second place or secondary, um, I immediately thought of Damian Lillard. And uh, in another, just to compare again, when we when we see when we see and we hear Dame talking about how he wasn't highly recruited out of high school, how um, he didn't really get noticed until his last couple of years at Weber State, um, you know he was a top ten lottery pick, sure, but 
he has never felt like he has gotten the notoriety that other players have gotten until recently because of whom he is, because of his background in, in basketball, because of playing in Portland. But I do not believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that we've seen the same level of childish response from Dame to people who question his stature as a basketball player. And again, you know, he hasn't won a ring. This is the, this is the thing. Well, I know KD has always been compared to LeBron and he's been second to LeBron and LeBron's longevity hasn't helped that. And that probably does weigh heavily on KD's mind. But we saw, we all saw that year, the first year that KD was in Golden State going through the playoffs, he owned that playoffs. He owned that finals. He did the same thing the next year. And as much as I call him soft, I do not question his toughness again after he tried to come back from that injury in a game where the Warriors desperately needed him versus the Raptors. It was a mistake in terms of his health, but he made the move anyway. That's up there with Kevin McHale playing on a broken foot and John Havlicek playing left-handed in 74 when his, when his dominant hand was, was broken. I can't question Katie's toughness on that anymore. And, and I know that there, are people, there might be a majority of people who do, but they're wrong. Just point blank period, they're wrong. He has to know that in here, the same way that Dame does, the same way that LeBron does, the same way that Steph did in the first couple of years of his careers when his ankles kept giving out on him. So I, I see what you're saying, and, and I understand that might fair. be true. I, I just that, think he's fair. wrong. However, I, however, my response to that would be this. No disrespect to Dame, and I've never seen Dame take it, you know, the criticism in the manner in which Kevin Durant has. I will say that. But this is the difference, in my opinion. Dame don't give a damn. Dame from Oakland. Everything that he wanted to work for and earn, he earned it. And anything that you told him that he couldn't do, he was just like, well, oh, I'm going to show that on the court anyway. If you just disregard me, you disregard me. With Kevin Durant, I think he takes it more personal because we're talking about a guy that was a McDonald's All-American, a guy who was a freshman of the year, national player of the year in college at the University of Texas, and a guy who got picked second overall in his draft class behind a guy by the name of Greg Oden who many people also regarded as the top player in the country when he was a freshman. And kind of, so like every level Durant has been on, he's always been regarded as like a great player and he's been well respected. However, it's always this thing where you're not number one in the eyes of the public. I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying makes his comments or remarks right. He definitely does need to learn how to handle those situations better. However, I just don't believe as though he really cares to. And I feel like he's at a point where he's like, hey, I'm going to prove it to you on the court. And when I get off the court, I'm going to talk my trash too. Even when it comes with the media, he, everything that Kevin Durant does now is controlled. If you don't want to talk about basketball, nine times out of ten, Kevin Durant doesn't care to answer your question. Hmm. That's actually a very good point that you brought up because when you talk about KD's personality, when you talk about how he's very basketball-centric and outside of basketball, if it's something that he can't relate with on a positive note, he will not answer, things of that sort. 
he has a teammate that went through very similar situations than Kyrie Irving. Now, Kyrie Irving doesn't have, you know, the whole misogynistic or response to social media issues that Kevin Durant has. But, but Kyrie did have his issues with media. He did have his issues with people and how they viewed him, especially after he left Cleveland to go to Boston. Um, for him, and since he left there to, to, you know, fulfill this role of I'm better and more, better, I'm more prepared to be in a better position than I was in Cleveland. And then that, then how that flaked. And then he brought a teammate that he can relate with, who was Kevin Durant to Brooklyn. And then his just as different Brooklyn being injured. Talia was talking about how he doesn't want to play, how he's, uh, and talk about how he's taking nights off for, you know, whatever for his personal reasons, and how they bashed him for that. And they bashing him for his comments on on social justice and everything. You know, they they have some relations when it comes to how people view them in the public eye. And I think because of that, that's why the relationship is so strong and why they decided to pair up as well. And when you factor those things into play, considering that it's being done in Brooklyn, when you think about it, it makes sense. Things like this start to make more sense as to why they, as why they partner together for this journey because they go through very similar situations, even though in this case, Katie just, you know, just happens to just take things another level and put some extra extra hot sauce on the wings, man. He just he just has the extra spicy. I don't know. I don't know why that is with him, but hey, he, he has extra spicy. So, Katie, I hope you just learn from this. You eventually mature a little bit more. And Michael Rappaport, go watch New Edition and see how bad you were. Um, that being said, yeah. <laughs> transition to another incident that happened in the NBA with um, Russell Westbrook and Stephen A. Smith. Stephen A. Smith came out, made some comments about how he's tired of talking about Russell Westbrook getting triple doubles because he wants him to win championships, right? And Russell Westbrook came out with the narrative of, well, I'm already a champion because I made it to the league. I'm making all these big, all, all this money. I'm a superstar in the league. And I'm happy. I'm happy where I'm at. I'm happy with what I'm accomplished, what I'm still accomplishing to this day. And my family's taken care of. So because of that, I don't care what you say. It is what it is. Wife came out and said some comments as well. Um, and I believe the wife said something actually prior to uh, Russell Westbrook. I might be wrong on that. But nevertheless, the family as the couple, you know, commented and backed each other up on that. And Stephen A was just saying, like, it's nothing personal. It's just that, you know, I'm talking basketball and what I like to see from you. That's what he gets paid to do, to analyze and give his critiques. And that's what he was and that's what he was doing. And since we're talking about KD and the sensitivity component, that's a knock that Russell Westbrook has had as well. Uh, when you talk about being sensitive to how people view him in the public eye. And my biggest thing when you compare these two, especially when you talk about Russell Westbrook's situation, I feel like we live in a society now where there's too many people saying you're either on my side or the other side. Instead of saying, you know what? These two parties have points that are very valid and make sense. Why can't there be two right answers? Right? Because it depends on, a, to me, it depends on perception. Russell Westbrook is viewing this thing as I've been in the league almost 10 plus years now. I've had plenty of opportunities to play with the best of the best, but I stayed loyal to my people, the people that drafted me when everyone else left, because James Harden left, uh, Victor Oladipo ended up leaving, Paul George didn't left, Carmelo Anthony didn't left, Kevin Durant left. At the end of the day, he was the lone person that stayed loyal to the team, to the franchise, 
gave it his all, and he's and he although he made his money, he's made his legacy. He's made his mark in the NBA. He will go down as arguably one of the most gifted players in the league that has stats like crazy that will never be broken. So you talk about a legacy that's being cemented. I think there's other ways aside from championships to cement your legacy in this in the NBA. And that's one of them. Now you can critique about how he didn't push hard enough to get other top tier talent to play with. You didn't push hard enough to get even better coaching to go with the talent that he was playing with. You can, you can, you can talk about how he didn't put enough pressure on the front office to get what he really wants. If he was all about winning. Yeah, sure. You're going to, you can make those arguments. We want to talk about at the end of the day, what his career is going to be. He's got, he's going to have hall of fame numbers. He's going to get hall of fame ballots and he will most likely be a hall of fame. That's what it is at the end of the day for him. His legacy is cemented. Why is it that he can't be right? But then Stephen A can come out to the point and say, yo, I'm from the old school. If you was top tier superstar talent, I expect you to win championships. And that's a fair critique to have. Um, it depends on the player's perception. And I think the gap between all this is players at times, you know, like Gabe mentioned before, Taking, taking situations like that so personal instead of just saying, you know, this is how he feels and this is just his job compared to your job, which is to play, obviously play games and win championships, but at the end of the day, get everything that you got and for the most part, take care of you and your family, which is one of the best things about sports in general is what it, is what it provides for the athlete when it comes to taking care of his circumstances. So I think it could be, a, 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 I think there pretty much can be two answers that can, that can be right. In situations like this, but for some, but this blew up in such a way that it, it created a divided line that, quite frankly, I'm not cool with and I don't like. I think too, both 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 um, parties have a right have a right answer. They have a right say. Let them be what they be. It's just a difference of opinion. If it's a discussion, just let it just let it be as is. He has his viewpoint. You have your viewpoint. Keep it moving. Everybody lives and everybody's happy. Stephen A. Stephen A. is not complaining about his eight million dollars a year. Russell Westbrook ain't complaining about his thirty-some million dollars a year. Yeah, I think I, yeah. I, I, you you ran down uh, a lot of his most notable teammates. So his his lack of a championship is not for a lack of talent necessarily. Um, and it, it's just it, it's, it's I think this is a part of a larger discussion that has become you know prevalent in the NBA, especially where everybody's judged on their championships. I don't remember it being like that when I was a teenager, when I was coming up, you know, watching Jordan and Barkley and Ewing and Miller. Like, of course, they talked about championships, but it, like th that is the goal. That, or that is, that's the litmus test now for greatness is did you win the championship? And I think that Russell Westbrook mm -hmm. is just simply this generation's John Stockton, who just happened to be in the same company as the LeBrons, as the D Wade's, as the Steph Curry's, as the Clay Thompson's, as the Kevin Durant's, when he went on about his way to, to Golden State. Um, and, it, I, and when I say that, it, it sounds like I'm trying to give him a pass. Uh, I'm not trying to give him a pass, and I don't believe that he ever pulls his punches. Russell Westbrook goes 100 miles an hour every game, whether it's a game in March against the Indiana Pacers, or a game against the LA Lakers in the Orlando bubble. Now the results <laughs> might differ, um, but that's not because of a lack of effort or a lack of trying or a lack of want to. Um, I just, 
you know, like you said, Josh, it's 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 okay that Stephen A has a point of view that may be um, in conflict with Russell Westbrook's point of view. I didn't like that it got to where it got to. I think that Stephen Stephen A, you know, I understood what he was saying. You know, at this point in Russell Westbrook's career. You know, we want to see him on the bigger stages. We want to see him succeed because he has been one of the premier talents in the league. But for him to say that when he did was just the wrong time, it was, it was bad timing. You know, the man just had uh, one of the, you know, the first 30-20-10 games since Magic Johnson, I think, in the late 80s. Um, so it was just one of those things where, you know, get his man his roses for the day and maybe save that for another discussion at another time. That being said... <laughs> And it goes back to this a little, a little bit of sensitivity. Like I understand where Russell Westbrook was coming from in his response. Like you know, I'm not as concerned about championships. Of course, I want to win them, but I've already won. Being from where I came from, the dreams that I wanted to have, the player that I aspired to be. Like I am that now. So it's not all or nothing for me. So I get both sides of the discussion. Um, I just think that you know, there, there's a there's a common thread in there. That was missed, I guess, is what I would say. You know, Stephen A is talking about him in relationship to title contending, and Russell Westbrook is talking about himself in terms of him already establishing a legacy that won't be tarnished or won't be that much um, more recognized with the title. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna get to an area. I'm gonna get to a time where athletes and journalists or athletes and TV personalities, athletes and media are actually going to have, <laughs> Chris, <laughs> um, are actually going to have, you know, an understanding of what their jobs are. Because at this point, if you really think about it, they're each doing each other's jobs. You know what I mean? Like they're doing what they get paid to do. Russ is balling. Stephen A's on TV giving critiques and is, and 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 pretty much yelling out what's blasphemous to him, right? So because of that, why can't we just be happy with the fact that yeah, you can have disagreements, but we all have a job to do. It's that's, that's a common thread, that especially as of recent when you come talk about superstars, it's a problem with Kyrie, Kevin Durant. We just finished talking about the those players. They have those type of issues. Russell Westbrook's another one of those guys. Are we ever gonna get to a time where we can come up to a, where we can come up to a superstar, give our opinion on things, but also have the, but also understand that at the end of the day, you know, the athletes gonna have their own viewpoint, do their own thing, and vice versa. Are we gonna ever have that, Chris? You shook your head, no. Like you said, forget this. It's a done. It's a wrap. I mean. <laughs> I may have a little bit of a ray of hope, but you said no, it's a wrap. So I need I need to hear why you saying no, bro. Like, why don't we have a chance? Well, once you finish your your postulate, I thought I'd shake my head a little early, but no, I I don't think so because you're right. This is what Stephen A's job is. Stephen A's job is to loudly foment discourse wherever is possible for the people who are watching, for the people who aren't watching, who get it secondhand, thirdhand information. Like we're talking about it right now, and. I don't know if any of us actually watched the first take episode where it happened. So he did his job. 
<laughs> I didn't go to ESPN's um, site. I didn't go on their um, channel, but I had to look and research this so that we could talk about it. And the same goes for Russ. Now people are going to look up Russ's accomplishments. They're going to look up more of his games. Um, I'm going to look up Nina Westbrook because I didn't realize that um, his spouse played at UCLA. So I want to see what she did yeah. because she said a lot of really nuanced things as well. And that's the thing about it. That's the key word I think is nuance. It's so hard to get nuance in this day and age when everything is a quick, 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 quick hit. You just There are some places where you can do it. And even in those places, I'm thinking of like documentaries or long form features, either it's, it's difficult to access. I know that my reading attention span has gone way down in the last 10 years. And then even in documentaries, for most of them, there's, there's some kind of a slant where that can be critical. There was some of that in The Last Dance, right? It was very Jordan-centric. So we thought we were as much of a full picture as we could have got, as we got, we could have gotten more. So there's not as much nuance that you can gather. I think you're right. I think you are exactly right. And Brandon Crawford on Twitter said the same thing. Both of these dudes were right. Russ made it, right? I wouldn't use the word champion. I would use the phrase made it, but Russ made it. Russ made it from LA, from Lutzinger High School. He made it to the, near the top of his profession, right? He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's put up four seasons worth of statistical triple doubles. He's made the playoffs. He's won a most valuable player award. He's gone to the NBA Finals. He hasn't won it yet, but he's successful. He's successful off the court with fashion, with all of the other things that he does for charity. He's successful. He's made it. Stephen A., who, as much as he yells, grinded his way to the top of his profession, too. Same as anybody else on ESPN. Maybe maybe there's some people. You know what? I'm not going to I'm going to walk that back. People <laughs> on ESPN for as as diluted as the coverage has gotten, they grinded hard to get where they are, right? They did. They just did. So is in. Stephen A's assertion is, is correct, even though it might not be the same as it was in the past. When there's five guys on the, when there's five players on the court and 12 players on the bench, the one twelfth percentage of people has such, so much of a greater effect on the team as opposed to football where you're one fifty third or baseball even where you're one ninth and you come up maybe four times a game with a chance to out, out, affect that outcome of the game. So it, it is somewhat disappointing that Russ, for all of his gifts, hasn't won a championship yet. Some of that is his position. I don't know if there's a team in history that has won with the point guard being their best player. Bull should have, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just, I don't think that he has any shame about that. If he does, he has, he seems to have worked it out with him for himself. And Stephen A., can be disappointed that he's not a champion in terms of winning. They can both be right, but there's not going to be any um, commonality. There's not going to be any um, common ground found on that because it's, it's not what it's not what it's about. We watch these things for narratives. So, so no, Josh, it's not going to happen. It's unfortunate, but it's not going to happen. Change my mind, Gabe. Change my mind. <laughs> Change my mind. Give me some hope, man. Is it possible? Is it possible? I, I I don't think I don't I don't I don't think it's gonna happen either because I don't think it's possible at all. And the reason why I say that 
is because there was a time, and I understand everybody has a right and a right to have a thought of their own and a mind of their where reporters athletes had mutual respect for one another in their profession. There were it was a time when certain lines would never get crossed. And when you're talking about players who have never won championships, um, the peace. And I think for a guy like Russell Westbrook, competitors that the game has ever seen at the point guard position, along why they still go hard each and every night, I think they've come to peace and learn how to accept the fact that, hey, the odds just might not be in my favor. Like you said, Chris, that he's never been or like he's never been the best player on a championship team. I think if Russell were to win a championship, I don't think he would be a guy. But just going back into regards to the Stephen A and Russ um critique and, and situation, my my thoughts on that is this. Yeah, I understand where it's coming from. There are journalists who need to have opinions, who get paid, promote the hot tape. Certain times where just talking with athletes on record and sometimes on where you can just tell, like, they get tired of that. And when they feel like they get attacked, they're going to attack back. And I the fact just the privilege of covering a guy that went ringless himself and is still ringless, and that's why he teamed up with Durant Brooklyn and James Hart. You know, like, anytime you bring up what a player does not have, nine times out of ten, they don't know how to live with that. It's a reason why you see most athletes who don't win rings typically just recluse and fade the black as their career ranks. Like Charles Barkley is probably the only guy that I've in the history of professional sports. And maybe Dan Marino, I would say, is second. The Chris and still be able to come outside and say, you know what, I'm in peace with that. It's a lot of guys that aren't. And I'm like, and like Dred, it was a time when in the 90s where you talked about chips, but you didn't talk about so much to the point where you were diminishing Ewan's legacy or you were diminishing Carl Malone's legacy or Reggie Miller's legacy. And it's like, if you, and, and, and I feel like Russ is looking at it like this. If you're going to attack me, then what about all the other greats who've come before me that have never won a champion? Like, we just lost Elgin Baker. All time you know, I, I mean, it. It's a conversation that's interesting to have, but rings, culture, and narratives, I understand that it's what makes and shapes the game that we love, but sometimes it can create a big, massive divide. And you oftentimes find yourself wondering if you're a purist or a novelist of the game, like, do they even respect me? Or do they they're watching on a night-to-night basis? And what to the art itself? Yeah, that's that that's a very that's a very good point. And it's unfortunate that we have to get to that point because we should be able to appreciate and accept greatness all throughout the league. 
um, especially people like Russell Westbrook, who has changed the game of the point guard in so many ways that, you know, point guards nowadays coming out of college are trying to play the type of style. You, and we have a prime example, and that is in, in, the, in the John Moran. John Moran is like a younger Westbrook to me, uh, the way he plays his, his game and his skill set. Um, so so he's put, he's put an imprint on what it means to play the point guard position in the NBA. And you can't doubt what he's been able to accomplish, like Chris mentioned. He's talking about four triple, four triple double seasons that you average. And it's not like a regular average. You like, you didn't do just 10, 10, and 10. Dude was averaging like 25, 30, 30, like 25, 30, 10 plus each. So it's like, you can't, you, you can't, you can't, you can't, like, you can't, it's Oscar. Yeah, you can't, you can't knock that. And Drew, and, and Drew mentioned it earlier, you know, it was bad timing. Everything's been bad timing. <laughs> with these topics we discussed, it's all things like everything's just bad timing. But it was a bad timing for him to say that. Um, I would have, you know, he, he he could have handled that differently. But at the end of the day, they did their jobs. They did their professional jobs. Um, and hopefully, you know, situations like this wouldn't bother <laughs> up anymore. But you know, you got to with my hope of having strong relationships with superstars. They can understand me doing my job. So I'll prepare for the divide. <laughs> Uh, as we continue, as we continue real briefly, um, dare I say, there's been some recent interesting college changes as of late. We're gonna transition to the college a little bit. Um, you know, the the breaking news that happened this morning with Coach was Coach Roy Williams retiring. Um, Shaka Smart left Texas to go to Marquette, and now Chris Beard left Texas Tech, who he revived now to go to Texas. You talking about changing in coaching perspective, my mind is blown. Um, and not to mention as well, DePaul just seems like they just hired their coach. And uh, I forget, uh, he's an assistant coach from Oregon. Tony Stubblefield. Stubblefield, yep. Uh, we just hired him. I got to say we because, you know, I'm a DePaul guy now. So we, we Blue Demons, have hired someone to run our basketball program. So, therefore, <laughs> um, Tony Stubblefield, you know, he's our new basketball coach and I want to start with Roy Williams. I want to start with Roy Williams because you know that's just a legend in the game. He's arguably he's pretty much the best coach since Dean Smith at North Carolina. Um he really revived the program into the way that it was during the glory days of Dean Smith and bringing bringing home national championships and staying afloat with the recruits and he went out with a bang as, as far as you know his competition with Duke cuz they just beat Duke twice this year. So he's always always did his thing with uh you know, with you know, being Duke and everything, but you know, what are your thoughts on Roy Williams and what he's meant to the college basketball game? We'll start off with Gabe on this because for me, obviously, it's the transformation of the talent that he's coached and been around, whether he's an assistant or a head coach at North Carolina. And quite frankly, I'm still upset at him because you know they beat U of I in 05. So I'm a little upset with him about that <laughs> still, but. I mean, at the end of the day, dude's a winner. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He knows what he's doing. And he, you know, he he is a prime example of what it means to take top-tier college talent and have them be successful, even in the pros. Um, so, Gabe, start us off. And what was your thoughts on the retiring of Roy Williams and what he meant to um, the, the not just college basketball, but the game of basketball as a whole?
There we go. Did we lose him? He's trying to come back. Gabe, you muted? Nah, I think I think he just I mean, it might be connected issues up. Go ahead, Drew. He's checking it right Roy, now. Roy meant hell of a lot. You know, I think he's the only head coach in college basketball history to take two programs to at least four final fours. You know, like everybody always associates Roy. Because that understudy to uh, to, but when he went to Kansas. Making a good point too. Just losing it on the Wi-Fi. Yeah, yeah. Go on. Go ahead, Drew. Um, kind of going off what I think Dave was was saying, man. He just his 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 impression on college basketball is, you know, you can't you can't cannot be overstated, man. Um, I believe he's the first coach to 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 get four hundred victories at two different schools. Uh, three three championships with the Tar Heel. Um, he just, he seemed like a player's coach, man. Like the type of guy that's going to get the most out of you. He, he didn't, he wasn't, I know he's, he's kind of known for uh, not cursing. I think that was the big thing, uh, which I find very remarkable <laughs> as a coach, coaching young men, man, who can sometimes get under your skin with maybe a lack of discipline, probably on and off the court. So I always admired that about him. Um, just, just the way it seemed. His his rapport with his t- with his uh with his kids with his um his players. Um, what was it? 33, 33 seasons, thirty three years as a head coach. It's a long time, man. That's a long time. Um, and if we want to start getting into, like you guys, I think Gabe was also starting to say. The amount of guys that he's he's coached that have gone on to to play in the NBA, I think it's 21, 21 players drafted in the first round of the NBA draft. That's the third of third most of any coach during that time frame that he's been in. Um, Calipari and Shashevsky are one and two on that list. Uh, it'd be interesting debate to go at who's had the better pros because um, it feels like. Like Duke has the name guys in college, but they don't always go on to have the best of NBA careers. So now I'm looking, I'm looking to see what's going to happen with with who they might get to replace them. I know a lot of talk has been about keeping the the higher in house, um, but I know Stephen A. also threw out Lavelle Moulton's name um, in North Carolina Central uh, HBCU. So I, it'd be interesting to see what direction they go um, if they kind of go out of left field a little bit. Uh, in terms of a guy that doesn't have a uh, as firm a connection to Carolina, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. I think we got Gabe coming back in real quick. 
Uh, let's see if we can get Gage back on. Gage, you good, man? Come on, connection, don't fail us. Don't do them like that. I know, man. Yeah, I'm back up. I'm back up. Okay, cool. Yeah, just uh, continue what you were saying. Continue your point to what you were saying about Roy Williams. Can y'all hear me? Yeah, we got you. Yeah. yeah. Can y'all hear me? Yeah. Now, yeah. now it's cutting out a bit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like, with, with Roy, I mean, he, he was a pioneer, not just in, in North Carolina, but in Kansas as well. Leading them to four final fours, produced NBA pros up out of there. Did we lose him again? Might be. Damn. Yeah, we'll get back to you, Gabe. On uh, we'll get we'll get back to you on that. You know, we, hopefully we can figure out what's going on with with you on your end. But uh, Chris, you know, you know, give your viewpoints on Roy Williams, what he's meant to the game of basketball as a whole. And um, you personally, because I know you agree with me on how he, you know, he messed up your vibes only, you know, championship run. So uh, give, your, give your thoughts on Roy Williams and what he meant to the game of basketball. I mean, I, I absolutely hated those Kansas teams because they got U of I out the paint a couple of times. Um, and then he went to North Carolina and beat them in 05 when that was that was that was the one that was the team, man. I really hey, thought that now? was the team. Yeah, we got you, man. Uh, but he, I was impressed by what I'd heard and just from what I'd seen. It's interesting in this day and age to have a coach who, who like you, you guys said, and like what Jay Billis said, he didn't demean players. Uh, that's exactly what Jay Billis said. He wasn't demeaning. He was demanding, but he wasn't demeaning. And that's a difficult line to walk. I'm, I've only I've coached roller derby and that's not the same level as high dollar amateur sports, right? But you're trying to get the most out of your players who you don't always connect with. And so it's hard to walk that line of how do I get the absolute most out of this person who might not be my best player, but let them know exactly what they bring to the table and how how what we need them to do and also that they're a part of this team. 
without without really getting up in somebody's face. You know, we saw Bobby Knight win championships at Indiana, but ultimately he was brought down by the strength of his own personality. Um, and then with other coaches, we just see uh, them going outside the guidelines of, of what the rule set is, no matter how corrupt the NCAA is, we see them going outside of the accepted guidelines. I'm talking about your Rick Pitino, um, Art Bryles and Baylor football, and even recently with the with the news from the women's tournament, the comments from Kim Mulkey and Gino Ariema about testing for COVID nineteen. We don't hear we we never heard that from Roy Williams. You know, as as much as he went to North Carolina, and I was so conflicted because I I hated him from Kansas, and I was like I, I gotta like North Carolina because Jordan, right? But then I was got to deal with these North Carolina teams and Tyler Hansbro and all these other cats. But he made those teams great, and he was a great coach. I think it's the it's funny that he got to Kansas the year after or the fall after that Danny and the Miracles team in '88, and Kansas was immediately put on probation. And I say that because he had to kind of work back to get to the 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 pinnacle of the final four. And I say that's uh, ironic or coincidental because it's quoted that right after Dean Smith won with North Carolina in 82, Roy Williams went to coach Smith and said, now they can finally get off your back about not winning one. And Dean Smith said to him, he's like, coach, I'm no better coach than I was five minutes ago, (laughs) you know? And so Roy Williams had to go through a similar experience coaching for 17 years until he won his first championship in 2005. And then he won again in 09 and then he won again eight years later. So it's, it's incredible. Um, it's, it's, I think it's hard for me to say what he's done because I don't know how many coaches are going to be able to follow that same mold. And I, I also don't know how many coaches on the men's side, on the women's side is different because entrenched coaches there, their system works pretty much forever. There's the cult of personality that's going to enable them to get recruits on recruits on recruits, which is what you see with Stanford and Mississippi State now and Baylor and Connecticut. But I don't know how many coaches that we're going to see last as long as Roy Williams has or as Coach K has. Even, you know, Nolan Richardson and John Chaney before them. I don't know how many coaches we're going to see stay 30 years at the same school. Mark Few might be the last. So I think that might be Roy Williams' most endearing legacy. Longevity. Go ahead, Gabe. Uh, go, um, you know, if, if you're good to still talk, you know, give your view, continue with your viewpoints on Roy, Roy Williams. Is that what, man? That that's a that's a great point when you talk about, about longevity in the game. I said that's a great point when you talk about longevity in the game. With Roy Williams being able to stay at a school. For over three plus decades, I mean, you don't you don't see that too often now, especially in an era where it's all about the dollars, who to hire for your services as a coach, and what you bring to the table. And yeah, Mark Few is probably like one of the last ones. But about Roy, I mean, what made Roy special was just the talent that he was able to the able to lead. You know, from some being relatively unknown to the NBA, in addition to 
the the, the if I'm not mistaken, if you count his years as the assistant, Roy Williams is 70 years old. He's been in basketball for over 50 years. So he's dedicated a great portion of his life to the game. And he lost a valuable Hall of Famer for here today, another one, you know, that went there to follow what his idol and Dean Smith was able to do and did very well. Yeah, that, that, that's true. We Roy Williams has done a lot of great things for, you know, young stars from you talking about the Jordan days when he was on the, as an assistant coach to all the way up until now. And I think one of the things that I'm going to like about him, remember about him, is the fact that his Jordan game was always on points. Them Jays <laughs> was on points at the bench. Boy, he had all the latest Jays, all the latest retros. And when it came for him to get his swag on on the court, you, you he came in here with a nice three-piece suit, but with the Jays on, all you already know, he's going to coach a mean game. They was ready. Yeah. <laughs> it was. They was ready. He was ready to bring the heat. So I know, um, you know, hope we, I wish him happy retirement. Um, yeah. Obviously, well, Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame career, well-deserving. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we talked about other coaches that have, you know, Replaced their old constituents, you know, um, talking about Shaka Smart, who's left Texas, now he's in Marquette. Talking about Chris Beard, who's left Texas Tech, and now it's, now it's taking over his job at Texas. Uh, North Carolina is now an open seat. And, Drew, you mentioned earlier about how you, you wonder who can fill in that role, um, whether it is Hubert Davis, which I think is a good option since he has been there um, and has, you know, the coaching experience with coaching with World Williams, but also playing experience since he did play in North Carolina. But Lavelle Mosley from North Carolina Central sounds like a very good option to me. Um, I really, I'm really feeling that, um, especially um, considering what he's done with the HBCU program down there that, you know, Stephen A. Smith and Chris Paul highlighted through the undefeated at ACN. Um, he's an incredible guy, and he's a guy that's reportedly had a, has a lot of North Carolina connections. He can recruit. I think it's an. I think it's at least an option that they should really consider. And at the end of the day, they need to put a brother in the seat. You know me; I'm all for my black coaches. So we got to put a brother in the seat um, to carry on that mantle. Um, but the names that have popped up for sure: Hubert Davis, potentially maybe looking at a Jerry Stackhouse who used to be there. Um, I actually think that whoever is the coach or ends up being the head coach at North Carolina. They look at maybe bringing Vince Carter back in some type of assistant coach or strength and conditioning type of role. Um, bring him back to the college ranks and get these young guys bounced back up in the air so that way they can participate in these college dunk contests and everything. Um, I think that'll be pretty interesting. But I like the idea of Lavelle Mosley coming to be the head coach of that, or even Hubert Davis. Um, as of right now, those are the two names that I know that are being reported as you know top tier targets that. The school may consider. Um, what I want to, I want to, I want to know what you guys think about that, especially you, Gabriel. Um, I want to see um, your viewpoint as far as who do you think would be a good ideal candidate to take over the mantle that Roy Williams just pretty much picked up from the bottom up again, considering how North Carolina dropped off after Dean Smith before he came back and took and raised the bar back to North Carolina basketball, what it really, what it tr truly is. Who, who would be a good ideal candidate to try to maintain that, let, maintain that North Carolina basketball legacy of, of a winning culture? 
from a storyline standpoint, Jerry Stackhouse to his alma mater, the coach of Chapel Hill, would be pretty cool. But I, I really believe that Hubert Davis is the guy. He's a guy that knows, you know, the game through and through. He's been involved in the game as an NBA pro, as an analyst, stepped down in a role, you know, with ESPN to go back to Chapel Hill and serve as an under. I know a very surprised with just hearing some of the remarks that I've heard about Lavelle. Like he's very loyal and he's as real as they get. And what he's built, you know, in, in North Carolina Central, I believe, is where he's at. It's remarkable to watch and see. And I don't think that he would just want to leave that even if one of the power five schools and the biggest one in the state would come calling because of just the, the network, you know, and the relationship that he built with so many brothers down in North Carolina, you know, off his reputation and whatnot. So I really think Hubert would be the ideal guy for the role. I like what Gabe said. I think that's important to build, especially with um, more of the spotlight on HBCU athletics recently with the hiring of Deion Sanders at, uh, was it was it Alcorn State? Jackson State. I know. Jackson State. Thank you. HBCUs, I, as, as much as I wasn't the guy who, who had that experience in any way, shape, or form, it's important. It's important to Black people in this country the HBCUs continue to go strong because of, the, like we discussed, the climate that we're in kind of magnifies that importance. So I, I think it'd be really cool if he stayed there and continued to build on it. He's gone to the NCAA tournament three times, I believe, and they're still looking for their first win. But this is a school with some with a lot of history. Um, I think somebody can check for me if I, if I might be wrong, but I, no, Joe Dumars, I was going to say Joe Dumars went there, but he went to McNeese State. I know there was an NBA pro who went to North Carolina Central. I'm going to check it later. The reason that Stack or Hubert Davis is the, is the likely candidate is because North Carolina guys, North Carolina people hire North Carolina people. It, we've seen historically the coach that Roy Williams replaced was Matt, Do Matt Doherty, who played at North Carolina. Um, it is just the way that the school works in, in history. You read the Jordan rules. Mike, when the Bulls were looking at the trade deadline to add a piece, wanted a North Carolina guy. He wanted to get Walter Davis. He wanted to um, he wanted to get they were, they were thinking about bringing in Doug Moe to coach, who was a North Carolina guy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that there was some beef, there was some friction because the deal he thought for Walter Davis was done, but Doug Moe was at um, Denver at the time and he held on to him. So he felt a bit betrayed because there's that kind of code of Carolina powder blue. But those are the, those are the most, that, those, that's why you're gonna see one of those guys get the job. Jerry Stackhouse has been doing very well uh, recently in the amateur ranks. I, I don't know if he would get the head spot right off the bat, because usually when you have that loyalty, there's always a, come, son, a kind of a system of patronage of it's been your time. So I would be, I wouldn't be surprised. I would be surprised if Hubert Davis didn't get the nod. 
Yeah, man. Uh, we'll, we'll just see how that goes with that. And, and hopefully, obviously, North Carolina, we know they're going to make the best, the right decision for the program, considering what Roy, Roy Williams and the history that they have with that program. So we'll just see how that goes. And um, transition real briefly before we close out to a school that does not hire its own people. And oh, <laughs> we we have a history of not doing it like that, unless, you know, which were pretty bad in the beginning, <laughs> but they brought you back anyways, because they just need to do another fill-in and you do bad and get fired again from the same location. Um, so we just hired Stubbenfield from Oregon and I'm not going to lie to you. I was kind of, I read it. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, out of all the dentists, really? Um, <laughs> and, I, and I say that because, you know, obviously he's a respected guy in the league um, and, and, and college basketball as a whole. Obviously he's a brother. Um, the new AD, uh, Dwayne Payne, you know, Dwayne, he's made, he did make a note, PV, I think it's Dwayne's PV is his name. He made it known that he was going to look at, you know, minority candidates to bring a minority guy to help rebuild this program. Um, but considering the candidates that you did have with Kenny Payne um, from the Knicks, and even though he didn't fall through, you could have went after Cleveland State's uh, Gates, and I thought he would be the perfect guy, considering that he had that DePaul pedigree and his connection with Quentin Richardson back in his Whitney Young days. You, you, you had a good opportunity to bring back home, homegrown talent, especially with what he has done with Cleveland State. Cleveland State just went to the NCAA tournament again this year. Um, under Gates. So considering that, I was like, yo, we got we, at least at least holler at this brother. We got a chance. But yet we bring another guy that, quite frankly, I think as of recent has uh, as was part of the sexual assault scandal that was at Oregon. Um, I'm like, dang, you brought over someone that's going to potentially we'll go clear part of it. Yeah. So I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm iffy. I'm iffy on this one. I hope it works out, but um, what were you guys' thoughts? Uh, Start with you, Chris, as far as um, what was what went through your mind when you saw DePaul and Stubberfield in the same sentence? Uh, uh, at first, when when my guy Dan Meehan sent it to our Facebook chat, I thought it was a good a good hire, just the same as he did. Oregon's basketball program has taken off under Dana Altman and Tony Stubblefield's been there the last 11 years as, as an associate head coach. So that's pretty much a crucible for learning how to do things. It doesn't always translate into success, but at the very least, it's a quality hire. Then the news comes out that he recruited these guys who were part of the sexual assault gang rape scandal. And, and you've got to address that. It's... I don't want to. I don't want to step in a hole here because part of me wants to say you got to let the dude go, if if Major League Baseball teams are willing to let guys like Beltron and Alex Cora go after the Astros cheating scandal, bro. This is much more important than that. But on the other hand, I, part of me wants to say is he addresses it in totality, and gives at least a good reason for what happened and why it happened and his part in it. Then, then maybe you can keep him on because that's you can't ignore something like that. You can't ignore something like that anymore. That's what the last decade plus, actually less, I should say, the last decade or less has taught us. You can't just let sexual assault slide. You can't, and and be and that's from the school's perspective. That's from the organizational perspective. You can't hire people with this knowledge known 
and expect that people are going to forget about it. That's going to screw your program up. But, oh, man, it's I, I really wanted to address it outside of that bit of news, but you can't. You, that's the thing. You can't parse that. So it's it's iffy right now for me. In, in terms of basketball, it's a good hire. But in terms of rec- what he did, what his part is, it, it's not a good look at all. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a ton more to offer on the situation. Um, you know, Josh, you're much closer to it than, than, than we are. Chris, you just made some excellent points there. Um, I guess we'll see what happens, who, what kids he's able to draw to that program, who's, you know, he's able to convince their parents uh, that that situation is in the past and um, maybe a one-off, maybe a bad, you know, bad decision, bad judgment on um, him and Dana Altman or just some more clarity with what went on in that situation, man. Um, Part of me also is, is just kind of looking at it like, the you know is this further example of the lengths that colleges, professional sports organizations are willing to go to win? You know how much are we willing to overlook? You know we we make a we make a lot of cases, or some people make a lot of cases for sports not really mattering. But every day we got a different example. Not you know a lot of times it's not in a negative context like this, but. It's, it's clear that a lot of times people are willing to look the other way if it's going to mean more wins, uh, deeper runs in the tournament, uh, better shot at, at winning more money. Exactly. Yes. Yep. You're absolutely right. We know that's we know that's King Chris for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, we'll, we'll see. I guess time will tell, man. I wonder what the reaction is going to be tomorrow now that everybody's kind of had some time to digest it tonight um and what that coverage is going to be like because i'm sure he's going to answer those questions because i think chris you sent over that uh that piece man that like right after the hiring was made right right after the news broke so this this is running Mm -hmm. parallel right now or you know it's running into each other i should say so we'll see yeah yeah just as I say, no, go ahead, gang. Yeah, as a DePaul alum, I can rest assure you he's going to have a lot to explain comes to, you know, cases and what happened with the sexual assault case, just knowing the, the student body of that campus being a recent graduate of the school. Um, you got a seven to one, damn near like female to male ratio. A lot of blowback, a blowback that higher. However, at the same time, I could also see it gaining a lot of support because of his track record and the level of success in which he was able to help Dana Altman obtain at Oregon in regards to getting the Sweet 16s in addition to a Final Four that they got to in 2017. Um, you know, a place that they've been through since '79, and just having the privilege of working in that athletic program for a short time. I mean, they they need a winner bad. And my only question is, is what happened from a monetary standpoint? Because they said that they were going to be willing to maybe drop the bag on whoever they had to, 
And I really thought that it would be a guy that they would land that had ties to the University of Kentucky. Due to PV Kentucky ties, I definitely in the ideal guy just due to the relationship that he had with Chicago players dating back to his time with Cal. I thought that Ron Strickland would have been an incredible hire, but from an on-the-court standpoint, I can't really complain about it. But I know as an alum and being around at university, he's going to have a very interesting press conference, for sure, whether it's virtually or not, um, where he's going to have to answer some tough questions. Yeah, yeah, that's true. We'll, we'll see what we'll see how this thing goes, man. Because you know, whew, I mean, at the end of the day, I think of it. I think of it this way. I, obviously, like Gabe mentioned, if they had the swing for defenses on this hire, the Big East got better, coaching wise, talent wise. Spent within the past couple of years, especially this year, they got better. You know, you got you got Shaka Smart coming to your conference now. You know what I mean? Like you got other top tier coaches that are recruiting. With top tier talents coming in, and the Big East is it's getting big. Georgetown did have made a big run with Patrick Ewing in that program. That, they're gonna turn that ship around. So we got as as a DePaul uh, current DePaul student and DePaul alumni alumni on this on this uh, on this show, we demand that our school turn this thing around. And if he can do it, great. But that sexual assault, man. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Cause you know the blue demons for a reason. That being said, um, it's long ago. You know, everybody, you know continue to check out what we got going on with the uh, War Media, RealRegalRadio.com, um, War on Anchor, and all podcast platforms, including this one. You name it, streaming. Uh, we're all over the place. We're doing big things. You know, we just we just out here grinding, doing our thing. Drew is over here killing the writing aspect. Chris is just being special on the mic as always. Uh, you gotta say yeah, Chris, we need you. We need we need you to start writing again, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Yo, everybody's trying to pull me back. Come on, man. man. One <laughs> time for the one time is all <laughs> I ask. One time for the one time. I, I, you know, I'm 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 old fashioned, man. I got I got an old soul, and I'm listening to you make these points week in and week out. I'm like, damn, I need to see something just in print, just all his ideas <laughs> <and> fleshed out. <laughs> You know, it's um, it's it's felt, it's felt like it's right there. I'll I'll say that because it is like I, I I wish I was joking. Like I know y'all, I know everybody. Kyle kept asking me, he's like, "Yo, Chris is gonna write it for us again someday." But it's it's been hard, man, for a variety of reasons. But it's it's felt real close. I'll say that much. And okay, okay. we we we'll we'll be coming back soon. We're wearing you we'll coming back soon. We're wearing you down. Okay, we're we gonna reel them right back in. <laughs> like, little by little, we're gonna reel them right back in. I'm, I'm, we still fishing the net, man. We still throwing the hook. It's all good. It's all man, good. Man, man, man's got to his final track on cataracts. So I finally, finally got my head and my soul right. That's real. And everybody needs to make sure they have their heads and their souls right for real in a time like this with the pandemic, man. Take care of yourself and be safe out here for real. Follow each of us on the on you know our Twitter hand our handles are on here, social media handles are on here. So check us out, follow us individually. Uh, and shout out to Gabe for coming on our show today. We know we had a little connection issues here and there, but you know, you always a, a special brother to come on the show. 
And you're real special to me now because, you know, we got that DePaul connection. So, you know, you gotta, <laughs> I got to get special love to my Blue Demon brother right here, man. I got to. I got to. Uh, <laughs> oh, no <laughs> doubt. Yes, sir. No doubt, man. Uh, that, that being said, man. Appreciate Yes, sir. Most definitely. Um, that being said, man, you know, we'll be back next week with another show. Hopefully Kyle will, be, will, will feel better. We'll have him, you know, come back and give his viewpoints on the show. Shout out to Kyle and the rest of the Real Big Radio crew. That's David's crew. Um, we got a lot of big things coming your way, man. So, you know, everybody be safe. Keep have, keep be safe out here. You know, it's getting warmer, you know, so don't go too crazy. Be safe. Social distance, you know. As as my as my guy D Demons uh, would say, keep your hands to yourself. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, y'all keep living and keep grinding, and like we will always continue to do, keep bouncing. Amen. Mm-hmm.